With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by Club Champion, the nation's number one fitter, builder, and retailer of the best brands in golf. With more than 35,000 hittable head and shaft combinations, Club Champion can find the best options for your swing. Look, you've heard me talk about it millions of times on this show, folks. You need to get fit for new golf clubs. Go out to clubchampiongolf.com today for more details. Let's go. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Adam, from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Golf Unfiltered. You can follow us all over social media, at Golf Unfiltered. And you can send us an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Some shout-outs to the folks that also help make this podcast possible. Our friends over at TheHackersParadise.com. Our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon Golf. Srixon Golf, built for distance, is the hashtag that you want to follow. You guys know I love their equipment, been playing it all year, will continue to do so. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at BudgetGolf.com. They've got great deals every single day. Go buy something nice. You deserve it. They've got great prices. They've got closeout deals. They've got it all. BudgetGolf.com. Folks, today we welcome back Mr. Michael Verska. He's been on the show a few times. He's one of the best golf minds from an engineering standpoint and club fitting standpoint and and really just a golf industry standpoint that I know personally. And today we're going to talk about more club fitting. But from the engineer's perspective, there's a lot of stuff that I learned recently from a presentation that I attended over at Mistwood Golf Club, uh, which is a very nice golf club around the Chicagoland area where the presenter was talking a lot about club fitting. They were talking a lot about differences in golf shafts and differences in forging techniques and so on and so forth. And Michael and I touch a lot on these topics in today's conversation. So if you are a golf nerd, and I know you are because you're listening to this, this is the 197th episode, why would you be listening to this this long or for this frequently if you weren't a golf nerd? You're really going to love today's episode. So... Sit back and relax. We get a little deep in today's conversation, but I think you're going to like it. Here's Michael Verska. Hi, this is Bill Hobson from the Four Golfers Network podcast. And as you and I enjoy this episode of Golf Unfiltered with my friend Adam, I'm reminded of an indisputable reality. We, as golfers, are nuts. We chase a small ball around the planet, spending thousands of dollars in the effort to get that ball into a tiny hole. We then yell at the ball and curse it when it doesn't listen, even though it can't listen, it's a ball. 
This insanity is all part of the magic of the game, and it's what we celebrate on the Four Golfers Network podcast every Monday when a fresh episode comes your way on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, you know, all the places. So after you finish listening to Adam today, I'd love to have you check out the Four Golfers Network podcast, that's F-O-R-E, where we celebrate the game with top-name guests and an exploration of the things about golf that both drive us crazy and bring us back for more. I stink! The ball is just sitting there and I can't hit it! Welcome back, folks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we welcome back Mr. Michael Verska uh, to talk a little bit about club fitting. Michael, I think this is like the 100th time you've been on the show, but it's always nice to speak with you. I think I'd, I'd bet the under, but uh, we're getting closer, and I, and I hope it's a lot more. I hope we hit 200 if, in fact, is 100, and uh, I appreciate you having me. It's always good to talk golf. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do this very often, as listeners who've listened to this show for any length of time know you and I uh, live somewhat in the same area. We live in the same uh, Chicagoland area, I think that's safe to say, and we both went down to Orlando recently with our buddy JB and his team of the uh, from the Hackers Paradise, and we learned a lot about the new equipment that's coming out and you know we just it's always great to see just what engineers and designs are are coming out with the every year isn't it it is i mean obviously having done many of those and being part of product launches it's uh, always nice to see a little bit from the other side and uh to see what uh, you know what's driving a company and obviously talking to a lot of friends in the industry and what may have driven a product, what might be more important in their thinking. So, uh, yeah, it's great. It's, uh, it's always hang, fun to hang out with Josh and a uh, big fan of uh, all the THPers. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good time and uh, looking forward to it already next year. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, you know, one of the things, Michael, that you and I talked a lot about when we weren't in front of a camera and, and Josh was there too, we were talking a lot about just the different engineering breakthroughs that are coming out and how it could potentially impact how club fitting uh, changes or it may remain the same, but certainly how people need to look at golf clubs. That's, that's an evolving thing. And I think you would agree that that's something that happens every single year. Oh, un- unquestionably it, it, you know, there are certainly what I call revolutionary moments. And I think we actually maybe saw one or two of those this year with some of the AI type designs. Um, but you know, most of them are evolutionary. Hey, we're going to take something that's good. We're going to make it better. Hey, we, we had a, a good idea two years ago we introduced that product you know now two years later uh we've learned enough we've got enough feedback um that you know we've tweaked it and we've continued to innovate so you had both those evolutionary and again every once in a while truly revolutionary and again i think we saw at least one of those and, and maybe more of those this year's pga show one of the things that really takes me by surprise whenever i look at new equipment is not only the design of the new equipment but also how a club fitter may interpret that when they explain it to a consumer. And that kind of leads to why you and I are talking today. Um, because I, you know, as somebody who um, I'm a decent player, I'll just say, there's no way that you can disprove that because we've not played yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have a certain level of understanding when I would go in and try to purchase a new piece of equipment. And so I'm looking at new equipment that we saw down in Orlando, for example, or any store that you can name, and I'm looking at it from that lens. And then, of course, if I were to go get a you know a club fitting, the club fitter, the certified club fitter, hopefully, is giving me a different perspective that's going to help educate me to make a more informed purchasing 
decision. And then there's folks like yourself who have an engineering club design background and have done that for years. And you may look at club fitting from an entirely different perspective. Before we get into those details, everything that I just said, would you say that that's accurate, that there is kind of that three-tiered perspective? Yeah, and I think that one of the most important ones, and hopefully over the next six to seven hours as we continue this podcast, that's a warning for people listening, um, that uh, you know, one of the things I think is very important to understand what your fitter, where your fitter is coming from. Uh, you know, is that, is that fitter representing just one or two brands? Is that fitter representing virtually all brands? Um, you know, does that fitter getting an extra 50 bucks if he sells brand, the, you know, the brand of driver X today? Sometimes the consumers don't know that. Um, you know, hopefully today we're going to educate uh, you know the, the listeners to understand some of the questions to ask and um, to make sure they're truly getting fit and not just getting actually not just but getting fit while being sold. Now, obviously, the whole point is to buy a golf club at the end, so you are getting sold. Mm. Um, but the the main goal should be getting fit in that process uh, and let the brands and, and the shafts and the colors and all that fall where they may. That's difficult because we all have egos, and we all maybe we like, hey, I love the way this club sits. I love the way this club looks. I've always been a fan of this brand, and I'd like to, you know, try that first. There's really nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's a lot of good things with that. Um, but again, you need to understand where your fitter is coming from as well. And again, I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. So one of the things that I had the the opportunity to do recently, Michael, and, and, and you know this, was I was able to go visit Mistwood Golf Club, which is in the Chicagoland area. It's a fantastic golf course, listeners, if you're ever in the area. I highly recommend it. Um, and they had a seminar there run by a company, and they were uh, out there basically educating a room full of PGA-certified club fitters and professionals. And the reason I was there was to kind of take pictures of new equipment, um, followers of our my twitter feed know who i'm talking about but one of the things that i well i learned many things in this presentation that went on for about two and a half hours actually um and one of the things that i learned was that from an engineer's perspective there's a lot of little different intricacies and details that i as a consumer might not understand or even look for and this person was conveying this information educating the club fitters so that they can then educate the consumer. And this touches on something, Michael, that you just mentioned. Hopefully listeners can get a little bit more education from today's discussion. But what I found to be very interesting is that there is quite a difference from an engineer's perspective on how to fit a golf club. And so maybe to kind of open this conversation a little bit deeper, Michael, from in your experience, you know, someone who's designed golf clubs before, you know, what are some of the differences that you can think of right off the bat from a typical club fitter and that of an engineer when they look at the same club? So, I mean, from an engineering standpoint, you know, when we're designing clubs, one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to design to that 80%. Obviously, we would all love for 100% of people to get fit, um, but it's just unrealistic. It's just not going to happen. And so we do want to have the club right off the shelf fit as many people in, in a positive way as possible. So and I think the, the, the public needs to understand that. That, that. that shaft, I mean, sometimes people get fit into a stock shaft and they're disappointed. Like, oh, you know, I can't believe I got fit into, you know, th this, this Fuji or this True Temper or this KBS or right. whatever, and that was a stock one. And they're disappointed in that. 
well, a vast majority of players are going to do pretty darn well with a vast majority of stock shafts. So that's the first thing is to kind of take a step back is these shaft selections are done with purpose. Does it have the right droop to, the, to coincide with the center of gravity location on the head? Not something consumers need to think about. And when I think about shaft droop, how, many, how much the shaft will bend, uh, you know, basically the shaft, the head of the club will want to align with the center line of your hands. Mm. Um, when I say center of the club, meaning the center of gravity. It's very difficult to measure in real time. In fact, it's almost impossible to measure in real time, but it matters. When you're going through design aspects, you know, what's the blade length? Where's the center of gravity? Is it more heelward? Um, you know, what, what's the torsional stability of the shaft? How does that match up with the head design? That includes drivers, fairways, hybrids, irons, you name it. So there's a lot of that things that go in that, that even some of the best club fitters on earth are kind of taken for granted, um, which gets me, you know, this is skipping way ahead, which is why I believe it's fitting for ball flight. Um, you know, not necessarily lie board, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily this or that, but fitting off ball flight is so important because there are so many things that go into it, um, that go into a good fitting. It's, imp- it's almost impossible to say, here's this one thing. Um, so when you go through a fitting, it is all about ball flight. And you can hit into a net uh, and get ball flight again as long as you have a reliable launch monitor that's truly tracking the data. You know, I'm not a believer that you can, you know, just take a lie board, slam, you know, a couple seven irons into a, a net at a demo day. Um, the guy go, yeah, you look like about an S and call it good. Right. Um, right. That's not a fitting, obviously. But some people, that's all they've ever had before, don't know any better. They say, wow, I got fit today. Now, is it better than pulling something, you know, literally off the rack and, and going out there? marginally so hmm. um, but what a real fitting would be where there's multiple club heads multiple shafts um, and ideally where the fitter is not in tune to just one or two club heads take somebody like club champion who's stocking lots of different stuff from mm-hmm. you know high end to low end and it's not about price it's about getting the right fit so you know those things that go into it that we start from the design phase we're thinking about how it's going to get fit you know, nine months, 12 months from now when it's in the marketplace. So when you're thinking about center of gravity, you're thinking about MOI, you're thinking about the general player types, obviously. Am I gearing this for a tour pro? Am I gearing this for a low handicapper who's going to want to work it? Am I gearing this um, from a sole design and from a spec standpoint? Do You know, this guy just wants or this gal just wants to break 100. Mm-hmm. So all of those things that, that go inherently into club design also inherently fit um, in, into the – uh, into the ultimate fitting as well. Things like hosel length, how easy they are to bend. Mm-hmm. Do we need to add a little feature that to make a, a hosel that's very short so we can move more weight towards the toe, for instance? Do we have to add something in because of the metal and everything else to allow this to be bent for custom fitting? So all of those things go in, and it literally starts from the beginning. Um, but because you're thinking about the player type that you're designing it for, you're obviously also fit, thinking about the fitting that will eventually go on for that player type. One of the elements that you touched on that was really the main purpose of this this conference that I went to was to talk about golf shafts. And what I found really interesting and, and almost a little disappointing, because I wish I would have known this years before, is that, you know, uh, golf shafts, the the flex is there's really no standard. You know, if you were to say that... There is zero standard. None. Exactly. None. And so, you know, what's confusing then for the consumer, at least as I understand it, of course, is that if you were to go and look for a regular shaft on one brand and you were to see a, 
another shaft that's from a different brand, but it's also marked as a regular, the, the shaft frequency, in other words, how the shaft actually bends and behaves throughout the golf swing, that could be completely different between the two, but they both have that regular shaft label on there. And as to the point of the presenter uh, at the conference was, you know what, we're actually trying to get away from labels a little bit. And quite frankly, whenever we see labels on golf shafts these days, when they're actually quite large, it's only for television. That might be a completely side topic, but that's basically <laughs> just so people can see what the shaft uh, sticker says. But I found that to be really interesting, that there's such a variance from being labeled regular, stiff, extra stiff, you know, whatever, between one brand to the next. It, uh, how much of that consideration or how much should a consumer consider that element when they go in for a fitting? Well, again, hopefully they're relying on the fitter, and, and no offense to the listeners out there, a vast majority of them uh, don't have the time or the knowledge to, sh- to, short, to sort through, you know, 20 or 30 different steel shafts, don't have the chance to look at the EI profiles and torsional stability of 50 different driver shafts. Mm-hmm. So I think, but so from an education standpoint, some of the things to, to know, if you, and I'm just, I, I'm, I'm put, painting in broad brushes here. If you look at a true temper, let's just take them, they're, they're a leader, or a KBS, who's a you know great, big fans of theirs as well. You know, if you look at all of their R-Flex shafts, all of KBSs or all of true tempers, even they won't be the exact same frequency, the exact same flex technically, but they'll be in the same family. A couple CPMs here, a couple CPMs there. What I think people may really find interesting is, you know, let's say that, that you, you go, you, you're looking for a new uh, set of irons, uh, and, and you see a, in brand X there's the shaft, and in brand Y that what looks to be the same shaft. The, the, this, the, the shaft band is the same. They both say R or S on them. Mm-hmm. But what you can actually look at, and sometimes you can check it, the only way to do it would be check the step patterns. You can do what's called hard step or soft step. So maybe during, you know, brand X's trials, they found out, wow, because of my head characteristics, the shaft that would normally go in the five iron might be too, you know, and, and can be considered an S might be too stiff. So we're going to soft step these. And actually the four iron shaft goes in there. So those type of things happen all the time at the OEM level, again, because it's trying to be designed and fit to fit a majority of golfers. So even sometimes if you're looking at, again, I'm just, I'm picking up, you know, a Mizuno versus a Callaway versus a TaylorMade versus a Titleist, mm-hmm. even of all four of those, six irons had the exact same shafts. It might be interesting to line up the, line up those shafts and say, boy, do all of the, do all of the steps or the, 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 the little steps, the changes in diameter in the shaft that they line up. You might be surprised that they don't a lot of the time because different manufacturers are working with the shaft manufacturers to find the perfect setup for, again, a vast majority of players in their standard set. So then when you get into then custom fitting, that's just another element. So, again, you might have fitters saying, hey, I think this shaft's really great for you. It's just a little too stiff. Let's stop, soft step it. Or, hey, this one's – I think this is great. We've got the ball flight, but you're telling me it feels a little soft, so we're just going to take it and hard step it. So, again, for the average consumer to not only, you know, know what's going on with 20 shafts, but then know what happens when you put a four-iron shaft and a five-iron, it's overwhelming. That's why it's so important to get a truly qualified fitter. Yeah, and and I feel like we're going to continuously, listeners, kind of say, go get fit. Go get a qualified fitter to really tell you these differences. But, you know, Michael, you touched on a few things there, and now now we're kind of getting in deep, and I like this. We're talking a little bit about the manufacturing process, and, 
you know, listeners to this show know I, during my day job, when I'm not saving the world talking about golf, I actually have a day job that I have to do. Um, and we talk a lot about just improving processes, not only from, you know, a manufacturing standpoint, but just in general. Uh, from what you just described, differences from products at the end of the supply chain, for example. You know, I think most consumers know that if you take a look at, you know, let's just use automobiles, for example, you know, because I'm apparently from the 50s and I refer to them as automobiles. Let's take a look at cars. <laughs> and let's say that one car off the line might have some differences than the next exact type of car off the line. I mean, I think people understand that there's tolerances there. But when it comes to golf equipment, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people don't understand that. But maybe that's part one of my question here is, do people understand that there can be differences from this exact same model of product? And if so, how much do they need to bring, how much of that information do they need to bring with them to a, a fitter and say, look, my friend, I tried his clubs. They don't behave this way. Sure. So, and you, you hear them the keyword, it's tolerances, right? I mean, every golf club on earth, no matter how much you spend on it, has a tolerance. Um, you know, a standard tolerance for loft and liners, plus or minus one degree, that's pretty much standard in the industry. There's certainly club, certain club lines or certainly club brands that may cut that down to half a degree. Um, and, you know, you're looking at length. You're typically looking at plus or minus an eighth of an inch for a lot of companies. Some of them are plus or minus even a quarter inch um, for some things. Uh, you know, weight, every head weight has a weight tolerance. So, you know, you're looking at plus or minus three grams, two grams. Um, this is very much standard in the industry. So, um, yeah, it's possible to pick up a driver. Hey, I, I, I tested this driver. I absolutely loved it. Um, and, you know, and it happened to be at the very end of the tolerance range. Let's say it was minus three and you and you get yours in and it's plus three. And it could be six grams, excuse me, six, yeah, six grams of head weight difference. Hmm. So, you know, now you're talking a point and a half in swing weight. When again, a, a qualified fitter would have measured your driver you got fit with if, they, if you didn't buy that one. And I don't think you need to. I know some people say, oh, you have to buy the one you get fit on. And if, if that driver is in good condition and, you know, everything else that goes with it, then by all means, if they'll sell it to you, there's, there's, no, there's no harm in doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but, again, if you get a right fitter who, who, who's built a lot of clubs and conscientious, they're going to go, hey, I know that that demo club with that shaft was, um, you know, D3.5. So when I build his new driver, I'm going to match that up. Not only the shaft frequency um, and the bend profile, but I'm also going to match up to make sure it has the right swing weight. Um, whether that's putting lead tape, whether that's changing an interchangeable weight and putting a heavier one in, maybe that's actually putting something that the industry calls rat glue, mm. which is a, <laughs> wow. a thermal hot melt that goes inside of a driver head that's perfectly acceptable. It's done on tour all the time to change head weight. So, again, if you get the right person, and, and when I say right person, that might mean you have to pay a little bit more, or you might have to do a little more research. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's truly Yelp reviews for, for golf fitters, but there's certainly a golf Twitterverse out there and um, ask around and get good referrals. So, you know, there's absolutely tolerances, and there's going to be differences, but the differences aren't so great that you think, boy, if I don't buy this one, it's going to be a train wreck. Um, in fact, getting ones that are at complete opposite ends of the spectrum of a tolerance would be pretty rare. Certainly possible, right? But right. Um, that is rare. So get fit. If you have a good fitter, you can be very confident um, that you're going to get a driver that, or an iron or, or what have you that's going to perform virtually the same as the one that you were fit with. 
I think you touched on a million dollar idea there. Yelp reviews for club fitters. I think we need to uh, we need to design that. Do we own that? We we, we, we do. said it out loud. So we own it. So <laughs> we if do. Anybody's listening. Don't try. <laughs> it's already taken. Hey guys, it's your buddy Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. We're going to get back to the conversation in just a second, but I want to ask you a very important question. Are you the best putter in your foursome? Chances are, if you're thinking twice about it, that means you're probably not. Luckily, you can go to Club Champion and get all your putting woes fixed. Did you know that putting accounts for 40% of your strokes? Well, your putter should be 100% fitted to your game. Club Champion's master fitters and builders can find the right putter to help shave strokes off your score and instill that confidence on the green that you've been hoping for all these years. Go out to clubchampiongolf.com today to learn more. Um, so really interesting stuff here. And, and another uh, element that came up in the presentation and something that I think follows this line of, you know, just the consumers knowing more and being better educated before they go in for a fit. I want to talk about this concept of forging. And mm-hmm. there's differences that I think people need to know. There's differences in iron forging, for example, where some companies will actually forge an entire head while others will only have a forged face, but both clubs will have forged stamped on their club heads. Is that something well, that you see? Go ahead. That, well, that, that's absolutely spot on true, but, I, but it's even more complicated than that. Uh, this is serious, you know, pulling the curtain back from the wizard since we're referencing the 1950s here. <laughs> Let's do um, it. We'll talk about aeroplanes as, soon, uh, <laughs> as well, I'm assuming. Um, but yeah, the, the term forge is a generic term. I think a lot of people when they hear forge, you know, they think about a sword on an anvil and, you know, somebody taking a big hammer and, and pounding on it. And that, that certainly is a way of forging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people assume when they see forge, they think of what's called typically called a billet forge, meaning it's literally starting out as a rod, a rod of metal that is then heated and goes through a series of what's called forging dies. And the first one, you know, kind of turns into a tadpole looking thing. <laughs> right. Uh, and then the second one, it's like, well, if I squeeze really hard it kind of maybe looks like an iron and eight or nine steps later you have what is 90 percent of an iron so it would have a, a, certainly would have some more um, grinding and polishing maybe even some milling that would have to go on to truly turn into the finished product but i think a lot of people see forged and think oh this is a billet forged golf club and there's actually not that many billet forged golf clubs in the market today uh, i don't think this is the right time to to go through a name and list by list, but sure. a little bit of research, if that's important to somebody, by all means, they, they should be able to find that data out with uh, just a couple hours on the internet. There's also, also things called form forge, which is essentially a casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say essentially, it, it is a casting that is then put into a die and then hit a, a number of times. And when I say, a, 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 this is when I say hit, we're talking a it's going to be a 200-ton press. I mean, an 80 to 200-ton press would not be out of the norm. Um, that's put into a, into a die and then literally pressed several times. And, you know, the whole theory is, hey, we're going to try to get the grain structure to be similar to, um, from a consistency standpoint, to the billet forge. That is actually the most common forging that most people see out there. Uh, again, not something that golf companies want to talk about because when they say forge, they want to continue that. Well, this is a billet forged golf club. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, and there's not that many of those. When you see the word forged, the more complicated the head, meaning the more um, cuts and the deeper the cavity and the things that, like those. Um, now, this isn't 100% true, but generally speaking, 
more likely it is a form forged product. Now, what you also said is there could be a just a forged face. And what happens then, you typically have a cast club head. Uh, you take a sheet of, of, of metal, of steel, and then forge, forge just the face, which means you're taking that flat plate and you're pounding it, again, to get the grain structure you're looking for. And then that face is then forged, and that's then welded hmm. to a cast head. All three of those products can certainly have the term forged, stamped, written, printed, whatever, on the club head. So there so wouldn't, would you say the, that there's no real concrete industry standard definition of what forged means? Uh, well, I guess, it, at one point, and I think that point was probably the, you know, sometime in the early 90s, mm -hmm. um, everything was billet forged. You know, that, that, that there was, wasn't, that if it said forged, it was a billet forged product. Um, and then is more and more, and I, I don't mean this as a negative way, but kind of about the time that frame that I'm not guilty here. I don't think I am anyway, but kind of like the people when I started getting the industry in mm -hmm. the 90s is when it went away from shapers and you got real engineers in there, who, guys who, you know, maybe were good golfers, but maybe weren't, but were really good on CAD. Uh, and maybe had studied aerospace and had studied, you know, physics more than, hey, you know, I used to be able to shoot under par every once in a while, so I'm a golf club designer. So it really kind of shifted in that point, and, and that was really the kind of time where a lot of the innovation took off in golf. And it's also the time where billet forging and some of the limitations of it, because you can only move so much mass in that. Mm -hmm. You can only improve the MOI so much. You can only have the top line so much thinner than the sole just because of the way that the, 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 um, the molten metal has to flow. Molten's a too strong word. Um, where the superheated metal has to flow inside those forging dies. Mm -hmm. So the more technical, the more engineering the industry got, the one baby step away from forged and another baby step away from forged, and where we are today, where you can put forged on many different products. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, even some tour players uh, don't know. They, they, in fact, I know for a fact that some tour players think that they're playing billet forged golf clubs, and they're not. They're playing <laughs> form forged, what I would consider form forged golf clubs. So the whole, oh, I can tell a forged product. You know, I've, I'm a really good player, and I can, I can feel it. I can hear it. Um, that's not really true, mm -hmm. uh, and especially if someone didn't give you a giant staff bag for free and not only give it to you for free, but also paying you to use it. Right. The right. chance of you being able to tell the difference is really zero. It truly, a hundred percent, is no chance. What they hear is the change in their pocket because that they just got paid to play that club. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the things that that's, that's really interesting. And thanks for kind of clarifying those three different categories for forging, because that, that was a topic that was kind of just brushed over a little bit in, in what I listened to not too long ago. But what's really interesting is, you know, when we go, we could the consumer go to a club fitting, you know, and I say that, you know what, I'm interested in this forged iron, for example. And for me, at least, I think that maybe that can be bent pretty well. Because I automatically think that that's going to be a softer club. You know, I might have this misconception that you cannot bend cast, for example. And, I, you know, I just want that forged iron. You know, that that's not true, right? Like, you can actually have a little bit of play in cast irons as well. Absolutely. I mean, you can you can certainly bend cast irons. Uh, one of the things I alluded to earlier, although 
quickly is the hosel length is as much drive. The, the two biggest driving factor on bendability is the material, the metal itself and hosel length. Hmm. Um, you know, really short hosel clubs because there's not a lot of, you know, room to bend um, can be difficult to bend. Now, there's certainly, you know, some of like the 1025s and 1040s and 304s and 303s certainly bend easier than some of the 400 series stainlesses. So there is that factor um, that that the metal the metal certainly matters from a bendability standpoint, um, but unless the club and I'm I'm going to again kind of broad brush unless it was pretty poorly designed, mm-hmm. every cast club can be bent for loft and lie as well. Hmm. Um, now it can be harder to do, but then on the flip side, um, the if again assuming it's done well, the harder it is to bend, therefore it also is the harder it is to bend back, right? Right. So, you know, if you have a softer forged metal uh, golf club, um, you need to get your loft and lie checked more frequently than you would with a cast club. Hmm. And that just comes from, you know, using on mats and and whatnot. uh, Yes, absolutely. And part of getting that lie angle just right, and this kind of brings us back to the world of, you know, going through an actual fitting. Getting that lie angle mm-hmm. correct, you know, we typically see, you know, the lie board. Anyone who's gone through a, a fitting knows the lie board. And now, uh, I've heard that up to 80% of what your lie angle actually ends up recording could be simply swing plane. Is that true? I don't know about the 80% part. I, I don't know how you would give that number. But mm-hmm. uh, the answer is, generally speaking, what you said is absolutely true. Um, you know, how you deliver the club, um, you know, a lot of people understand how their hips come through, whether they're standing up or sitting down, uh, the type of shaft, and we talked about shaft droop, that can have a big factor in line angle, can easily be a degree, a degree and a half. Um, so, you know, I, there, there's a growing contingent of people out there who are anti-liveboard, hmm. uh, who don't use them at all. One of my really good friends is, uh, in my opinion, one of, the, one of the best teachers in the country, um, and it just two weeks ago, not even before you and I even talked about doing this, uh, him and I had a long conversation about liveboard fitting. And he's in the camp that he doesn't use it at all. He thinks it's a complete waste of time. Hmm. Uh, I am in a slightly different camp. I think it's a great starting point. Uh, I do think hitting off a liveboard to get started, at least to give directionally, hey, it looks like you're at least as a starting point a degree or two flat. It looks like as a starting point you're about standard. You're at a starting point, maybe a little upright. So I do think it's a starting point, but ultimately, and you and I, we have talked about this, it's about ball flight. Right. So again, one of the things that I think consumers don't recognize is when you bend an iron upright, you are essentially, and this isn't really true because you're not closing the face, but you're changing the plane of the face to point more for a right-handed golfer to point more left. Mm-hmm. If you bend it flatter, the plane of the face inherently now points more right. So, you know, you can get a quote-unquote perfect lie angle and people start hooking, every, you know, every one or cutting every one for an iron. And, boy, I don't understand. The, the lie board shows I'm going right to the middle. But there can be other, again, we talked about how there's lots of things that you can measure and some that you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, that that ball flight is the one thing that matters, right? Right. I've never seen anybody on a golf course make an iron swing and go, boy, that divot looks absolutely perfect. I love that shot as it flies in the water. <laughs> All you really care about is what the ball's doing, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing to think of, again, lie angle is important. I'm not saying we should ignore it. In fact, we should it is a, definitely a factor. But how many times on a golf course do you have a perfectly flat lie 
where the ball is exactly perfectly level with your feet. Right. Uh, it's just not realistic that much of the time. So, you know, it's really cool because for a long time, a lot of simplistic fitters, they'd throw a live board down, you'd hit it, you'd hit an R, you hit an S, maybe you hit the S a little bit better, and the fitter would go, hey, perfect, <laughs> one degree upright, here's the S, you're 100% fit, can I have your credit card? Right. Um, and again, so that kind of, now we're hearkening back to what was the goal of the fitter? Was it a sale or, or is it a fitting? You know, and that's interesting, and we will definitely get back to that here in a sec, but, you know, if I understand you correctly then, is it possible for the same golfer to have is it, is it possible for their lie angle to change assuming that they maybe go through a swing change for example is is that possible on yeah the effect is unquestionably and not only that but you could use need and this absolutely does happen might need a different lie angle for different shafts oh interesting depending on store depending on torsional stability depending on the droop of the shaft um, depending on how that EI profile and how that player deliver happens to deliver one shaft over another, uh, you know, which, so, um, you know, ultimately you really want to hit the final product, hmm. you know, you, it's you, what you really don't want to have the fitter say is, well, you know, Hey, I, this head is really good. And this shaft is really good. And you got to trust me when I put them together, they're going to be great for you. Um, he may or she may or may not be right on that, but you really want to hit the final product, um, you, you period. I mean, you want to hit the final product. You want to see that ball flight. Boy, when I make a good swing, this produces the trajectory. It produces the shot curvature, whether it's a draw or a fade or, or straight what that you're going for. Uh, because, again, things like shaft can affect lie angle, believe it or not. Again, more wow. about the shaft, how much it droops through impact. Um, but then getting to lessons, that's a whole other story. Right. Unquestionably, lessons um, and swing changes will affect, uh, can affect many parameters, right? Maybe you get all coordinated, all of a sudden you're swinging it faster. Maybe, you know, all this time you've had hip flexibility problems and you go start working out. Now you can sit down to the shot a little bit better. Your lying angle is definitely going to change. How do you deliver the club to impact is definitely going to change. So um, I think we probably want to keep swing part out of it for a lot of it just because <laughs> that really complicates things. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, those all matter. Wow. Yeah. There's just so many variables there and listeners, if you hadn't gotten the point yet, I mean, you, you definitely want to talk to somebody that knows what they're talking about and go get fit. If you know, just don't, don't buy stock. I mean, I'm the one that's saying that <laughs> Michael won't say it, but I'll say it. Don't, don't just buy off the rack. Go get fit. Um, well, I will say, I will say it as well. There is, <laughs> you know, I think the biggest misconception and the one I hear more often is, oh, I'm not a very good golfer, I don't need to get fit. Or, oh, I'm not a very good golfer, and they think it's because their swing is too inconsistent. What most bad golfers don't realize is that block cut and that block, and that, excuse me, and that snap hook right. are the exact same swing with a two to three degree difference in face angle. Oh. Everything else in those two swings are identical. One, you're delivering with a slightly open face to the path. And the other one, you're delivering with a slightly closed face to the path. And the one looks like a block slice, and the other one looks like a snap hook. And they think, boy, look how inconsistent I am. And we're literally talking about a couple degrees of face angle. The swing was shockingly consistent. The results, shockingly inconsistent. And that's interesting because that touches on a Twitter poll that I put out recently, and it was based on something I also heard at this presentation. Apparently, I paid closer attention than I thought I did at this place, this, this, <laughs> this thing I went to. But, you know, in your opinion, Michael, from a handicap standpoint, who benefits the most 
from a proper fitting? Is it high handicaps or lower handicaps? Well, I follow you on Twitter religiously. I do not remember what the results were, so I'm just going to tell you what I believe, and you can tell me how uh, right I am compared to Twitterverse. I actually believe higher handicappers will benefit a little bit more, and I I say that because good players, if you give them three swings, they're going to find the center of the face, and they're going to figure out how to hit it where they want to hit it. Right. Um, They may have to work harder to do that, but if you give a good player any set of clubs, and they're going to figure out in just a matter of a few swings how to get the ball to go where they want to go. Bad players can't do that. Mm-hmm. They have one swing, and again, you could argue that it's not a good swing, but they pretty much only have one, um, and they're going to make that swing again, because they're afraid one's going to be a slice and one's going to be a hook because they don't understand how similar those two things can be. So a lot of high handicappers um, you know, get the wrong shaft flex, which causes other problems, right? They start cast, it's too stiff. They start cast generally start casting the club it makes them keep them even go more upright if, depending who they get you know upright and over the top depending who the fitter is the fitter goes oh wow you look how upright you are we're going to bend this five degrees upright and it's just compounds <laughs> right so so uh, again i don't know what twitterverse believes but i'm pretty comfortable in saying you know all things being equal a high handicapper would see a greater benefit that... still critical for tour players still mm-hmm. critical for low handicaps i'm just saying in this fictitious made-up world we're now talking in. Sure. Well, it actually, the results were pretty mixed, and, and the message that I received was that it was higher handicap, so that, you you know, the person I listened to would agree with you. And I, I agree with you, too. I mean, the whole concept that you're not good enough to get fit is something that need, is a myth that needs to be busted. In fact, you're, you're the folks that need to go get fit because you're going to enjoy the game more. You're going to benefit the most from the equipment fit to you and all the other things that Michael just mentioned here. So if you're listening to this and you're considering Hey, should I do this? Yeah, go do it. You're gonna you're gonna benefit a lot from it, Michael. The last thing I want to to you know talk to you a little bit about here is something that we talked about earlier, and that gets back to the the purpose of the fitting. And from a business standpoint, the club fitter also has a, a second hat that he or she has to wear, and that's making the sale. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's I've heard also that you know people uh, club fitters aren't just fitting that person in front of them they're actually fitting for people they're fitting the person that actually paid for the fitting but then that person's friends who they play with normally they're also getting information based from that friend so in other words think of the people listeners in your foursome you have somebody that went through a fitting or they bought a new piece of equipment it's like oh you've got a you got fit to a stiff flex driver well I swing like you. Maybe I should go get a stiff flex driver. How much of that plays into to this whole thing? Well, I think tremendously. And the other thing that I don't know if the, the person you listened to said, but we've seen this over and over again. You know, if you a lot of people say play with the same foursome and have for years. Mm-hmm. So you know, their their buddy Billy Bob gets a new driver, and they know they're always short of the bunker on two. They have been for years. They've never reached it. They get a new driver, and guess what? They hit it past the bunker on two and now everybody in that foursome thinks that's the longest driver on earth <laughs> and all true. of a sudden and all of a sudden you see three or four guys using the same driver mm-hmm. um and what really happened was billy bob got fit properly and was that driver the best driver for him hopefully and probably is that driver the right driver for the other two or three guys or gals in their foursome maybe but more likely maybe not so not only is it about the, 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 you know, the fit itself, a lot of the times the guys walk in and go, boy, my buddy just got the new driver X. 
uh, and he's killing it. I've never seen him hit it as far. I want that driver too. So that's something that people need to be careful. Look at the result, meaning, hey, look at the ball flight. Mm -hmm. This person got fit rather than look at that specific club. Um, I want one of those. It should be much more I want to get fit. Right. Yeah. That's a great present, folks, to buy somebody. Maybe not your foursome because you want to beat them. But if you've got someone that loves the game, <laughs> go ahead and, and buy him a gift card somewhere. You know, go get fit. But so, Michael, you know, I know you and I could talk a lot about this. And we will. We will continue this conversation in future episodes because I think people really need to have a better understanding and be better educated when they go in to make really what is a substantial purchase. I mean, this stuff isn't cheap. Um, you know, last week I did an episode where I talked a little bit about, you know, optimizing your current equipment to the point that you just brought up where, hey, you know what, you actually adjusted your driver, if you've got an adjustable driver, to the specs that really fit you the best. You're going to get more performance out of something you may already own. But at the end of the day, a good fitter is the only person that's going to be able to tell you that. Yeah, I will. I know we need to end here just so we don't get to that six-hour mark, which I mentioned. But, you know, you, you mentioned a place like Mistwood where you can go and, and get data. You know, maybe if you can't afford to get fit right now, but if you have an adjustable driver with, you know, two or three rain sessions and actually seeing ball flight, you should start to be able to dial in, not you, but the proverbial you, right. dial in, hey, I, maybe I need more loft. Maybe I need this a little closed. Maybe I need a little open. So there's nothing wrong with that experimentation even for the, the semi to fully uneducated, if they can see ball flight and, and understand what's happening. So don't be scared out there. You paid for that adjustable driver. If it didn't, if you didn't get fit when you bought it, try to fit yourself. You can't really hurt it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's only going to benefit you if you, you go and get That's more right. education. That's right. So listeners, I know that we've covered a lot in this episode. And if you have any questions or if you want to have any, or if you have any comments, or even if you disagree with something that either myself or Michael said, probably something I said, because I just, you know, say wrong things all the time. You could follow Michael on Twitter at VGolfman. You know how to find us on Twitter at Golf Unfiltered. And Michael, as I mentioned, we'll do this again in the, uh, the very near future. I hope so. There, uh, there's a lot more that both and I can talk about. And, uh, again, hopefully some people learn some things. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's reach out on Twitter if, you, if you, we didn't cover it. And we will either there or soon on the podcast again. 